Welcome to the Uncomfortable Truth Podcast, hosted by the rock star of consulting, Alan Weiss. Be prepared to have your beliefs challenged and your behaviors questioned. Welcome to Screed 171, or whatever we're calling it these days. This is part three. And I've identified 20 concerns for leadership in the future that I think maybe you should be thinking about in terms of your business. Am I right? Who knows? I usually am. In no particular order, as they say on Dancing with the Stars. The first one is managing the transient worker. And the transient worker to me is not just a person who works there for a little time and moves on. It's the person who's moving between and among a home, an office, a vacation spot, wherever it happens to be, and working part-time remotely or full-time remotely, part-time in the office or full-time in the office or switching and so forth. I don't think we've learned that lesson yet, despite the fact that the pandemic is, what, two years away or whatever it is. Uh, and leaders have to learn how to do that better. Uh, and um, that leads me to my second point, which we need metrics for performance and not presence. We need to determine how a person is successful by producing what we expected them to produce and not by putting in time. And we're not really so capable of doing that. And one of the worst examples in the world about this is the school system. Because we, want, we need kids in school for 180 days a year or whatever it is locally. In East Greenwich, yeah, they just decided, listen to this, to extend the day by six minutes Thereby, if there's a snow day, they won't have to make it up because the six minutes eventually equals six hours. I don't know what the hell it is, but it's stupid. All right. But I'm not going on that rant right now. And so we need metrics for performance, not presence. And that leads me to the third thing related to this. And that is the 40 hour work week myth. Nobody working in offices, folks, works a 40 hour week. Nobody produces for 40 hours, maybe 20. They're playing a video game. They're staring at the screen. They're stuck. They're talking to colleagues. You know, the water cooler has been replaced by uh, uh, a texting or Instagram or TikTok or whatever the hell it is. I'm watching the third season of um, Suits. And these attorneys are all working at night. They get there at seven in the morning and they're there drinking at 10 at night, still thinking about that. And they say, you're going to work all night on this. My wife says to me, you know, I got a full scholarship to Rutgers Law, $45,000 a year in 1968. Killed the LSATs. Killed it. I murdered them. She said, you could never have been a lawyer. You would have, you're not going to work like that. Damn straight. And so, because people are at home, we shouldn't expect them to work 40 hours if they're not working that in the office. So leaders have to get accustomed to the fact that they're not managing time and presence and how hard people work, but rather how smart they work and what they produce. Next, they have to create an environment for intrinsic motivation. Motivation's intrinsic. You cannot motivate someone else. Motivation comes from within. You can establish environments in which people are likely to be more motivated than otherwise. Just like if somebody says, you intimidate me. No, I don't. You allow yourself to be intimidated. That's from inside. You allow yourself to be afraid. Sometimes it's smart to allow yourself to be afraid, for example, if a large bear is chasing you, but not if you're worried about walking into a buyer's office. But I digress. So we have to recognize that I can't motivate you. A leader can't motivate his or her people, but they can set an environment that's conducive to motivation. What do I mean by that? I mean, you set up an environment where people can apply the maximum amount of their talents to get results and they recognize for it. 
That's hardly rocket science, although people post that on social media as though they've just had some kind of bolt out of the blue. Well, it's that obvious. Next, leaders will have to deal with their voids of personal fulfillment. And that is the world's a changing, right? So the fulfillment isn't what it used to be. It's not a nine to five job. It's not getting a raise each year. It's not getting promoted every three years. It's not getting a corner office. It's not getting a a $200 million budget or managing 6,000 people. There are going to be voids in one's life and they have to be fulfilled. Commensurate with that, excuse me, it's a loss of travel. That is, although remote work is wonderful in a lot of respects, the loss of travel can hurt. You don't see as much. You can't take a trip and add vacation to it and take your family along with you. That's got to be a separate kind of trip for you now. And even if it's strictly business, you're not learning as much by being there. And believe me, you can never learn as much as by being there. I've been to 63 or four countries. And no matter what you see about the Great Wall of China, you don't understand it until you stand on it. I don't care what you know about glaciers, and I have a minor in geology, I understood nothing I realized once I choppered over to one and stood on it. So loss of travel is an issue. Now, this thing about void in one's life and loss of travel, this leads me to my next point, which is volunteerism. Leaders are going to have to volunteer to gain some of that personal fulfillment. I'll give you a personal example. I've been out of the ballet here for a year, uh, but I was president for three years. I served three years in a two-year term. Uh, But it was a wonderful sense of fulfillment for me, not just because I saved the place, I say humbly, but because it gave me a mission. I was able to work with people. I was able to apply my own principles, which I share with you, to the actual firing line, no pun intended. And I worked to run the place as a business and I was successful. And so I constantly learned, drafted new people onto the board, found new sources of money, worked with the artistic side of the house. And we diversified the place, not by DEI initiatives, not by quotas, not by identity, but by finding talented people who came from all kinds of places and looked in, <laughs> looked different from each other. Leaders are going to have to abandon the guilt that adheres to them from archaic work structures. Now, part of that guilt is the 40-hour week and not working it or not working 60-hour weeks. Don't you love it when somebody says, the meeting starts at 9 and if you're there at 10 to 9, you're late. It's a lot of crap. Give me a break. But there's guilt in treating people harshly. There's guilt in not being honest with people. There's guilt in having to fire people. They have to think in terms of the larger entity, the larger responsibility, their obligations to investors, their obligations to customers, their obligations to the community in which they are a citizen, and so forth and so on. Guilt masks talent. Stress masks talent. Fear masks talent. If you have stress, and fear and guilt, your talent is hidden under a rock. Leaders are going to have to get over that, and they're going to need help to do that. In accordance with that, they're going to have to push accountability down and over, over to colleagues, over to friends, over to family, and down to subordinates, down to suppliers, and down to customers. We don't do a good enough job demanding accountability of others. Our schools certainly don't. And so, Leaders will have to learn not just to take accountability 
unto themselves, but to assign it, to follow up on it, to have oversight for it, and to insist upon it. Leaders are going to have to triage customers. Anybody who tells you the customer is always right hasn't worked with customers. Anybody who tells you all customers are equal has never seen a customer. And so customers, clients, whatever you want to call them, uh, you need to separate them according to their worth to the organization. Does that sound horrible? Well, then get it out of your mind because that's not my problem. The fact is that resources vary in their importance and customers are resources. And so we have to treat our best customers in the best way. If you don't think that's important, think about airline clubs and first class air and American Express black card and yada, yada, yada. There's a new service cropping up. It's in LA. It's going to come to Atlanta and Dallas and Miami in the next two years. And it's a special service in airports, which you can sign up for. And they take you from one plane to another or from a lounge to the plane or from the plane back to the airport in, in vehicles, in separate cars. There's a separate TSA. Uh, everything is unique to people who, who are members of this. So we're going to have to treat our best customers in the best possible way. We're going to have to find honest and authentic communications. Right now, there's a threat by um, artificial intelligence, by getting images and um, voice uh, and scenarios that are not authentic and not real. And leaders are going to have to deal with that. It won't be impossible for someone to put out a meme, for someone to put out uh, something on social media uh, that shows a leader in a bad light or threatens the organization. And so there's got to be some way that a leader can, can ensure authenticity. Leaders have to embrace true diversity and not just virtue signal. That's what I said about the ballet. Diversity helps an organization. It creates a multifaceted viewpoint. It creates proportion. Uh, however, uh, creating layers of people just to enforce diversity is no more effective than creating layers of people out here who enforce recycling and put little tags on the bin if you put the wrong piece of plastic in there. No one really cares and it doesn't help with compliance at all. And so leaders have to embrace true diversity and have to exemplify it. Leaders have to come to grips with the false promise of retirement, the false promise of retirement for employees and for themselves. I've always said that retirement, as we've seen it traditionally, is an archaic tool, and it, is, uh, it has gone the way of the dinosaurs. It is extinct. You can't expect people to retire at 65 when the average lifespan in the United States right now is 78. What do they do for the next 13 years? Even if they have the resources, even if Social Security worked and it was only meant to be a supplement to other designs, are people just going to sit around waiting to die if they're cognitively healthy, if they're physically healthy? And so this, this rubric, this falsity about retirement at an arbitrary age is ridiculous. And I've mentioned, I think, to all of you, this the craziness of retiring airline pilots at 65, who at that age have mastered every possible situation they could have faced and are probably the safest people to fly you anywhere. Physical, psychological, and emotional health are going to be important for leaders. And right now, too much of that is simply missed. The physical part of it is especially important because if you're not physically healthy, you don't perform well mentally or emotionally. Employee, you know, companies put in gyms, right? But they expect to, to add on the stress during the day and then magically at five o'clock, you spend still more time before you commute and go home uh, getting on some kind of bike or treadmill and work off all that 
agita, and then the next day it starts all over again. That's ridiculous. So physical health is important. Psychological health is important. We hear all this about mental illness today among athletes. Well, this is the stress and the guilt and the fear that I talked about before, basically. And in athletics, uh, in sports, it's forced upon people at a very early age. But in business, it's forced upon people without the proper preparation. I have to tell you, you know, when I was fired up here from this company, I was in good shape, you know, because I basically said, screw you, but I said it in New Jersey language. But when I first came up here and I was being interviewed for that job, I was asked a very interesting question by a vice president in that firm. He said, what kind of emotional support do you need? I thought that was a great question. You know, he was steeped in psychology and that was a good question to ask me. So physical, psychological, emotional health, the leader will need help with this. So those of you who are clinicians, those of you who are coaches, those of you who are counselors, this is important stuff. And those of you who are consultants and other things, you need to add this to your repertoire, in my opinion. Leaders have to embrace technology with the proper proportion. It's not going to change everything about us. It's not going to threaten our existence. Just yesterday, we were in CVS over here, and there was one clerk on duty, one cashier at the counter, you know, with the automated stuff, shooting the barcodes, doing a good job. And over here were two of their automated checkout machines. And you kept hearing this robotic voice. Please move your please move your purchases to the weighing station. Please move your purchases to the loading station. Please put your card back in. Please don't put things on the scale until you hit it. And I said to the, the live person behind the counter, I said, doesn't that drive you crazy? I mean, I would take a wrench to those machines. He says, well, you sort of, you know, you get used to it. But there was another employee over there helping people get through them. That's absurd. And so we have to understand that technology will be a blessing for us in many ways. But if we try to apply it too broadly, it's going to be a curse. Uh, having considered that, I want to talk to you about the speed necessity. And the speed necessity is that speed is as important as content these days. And that ain't going to change. We need to get things out fast. If I order something after I finish this recording from Amazon, it will be here tomorrow. I don't know how they do that, and I don't care. I just know it will be here tomorrow. I went online the other day with advance notice uh, to get tickets to Billy Joel, his 100th performance, sold out in Madison Square Garden. I got a, you know an early entree to this because I'm a good customer. And I was alerted on my screen. It starts in five minutes. Get on here now. I did. It showed me that there were 8,000 people ahead of me. Then 4,000, then 2,000. And then, this is all within about seven or eight minutes, I was next. Show me the seating. I picked two seats on the aisle in the 20th row orchestra center. Paid my money and I was done. This is the way of the world. That's how technology helps us. And this is the speed we need in the marketplace, whether we have a product or a service. And that's what we have to help leaders understand and realize. Leaders have to thrive in three conditions, folks. Ambiguity. Disruption and volatility. Obviously, they're related, but I have found in 35 years in this business that leaders who can deal well with ambiguity in particular are the most effective. They're not looking for magic roads and magic journeys and signposts. What they do is they say, follow me, I'll find the way. And they have the confidence and the talent and the skill to do that. So add into that the disruption and volatility, which we're going to find from now until the rest of probably all of our lives. Those are the leaders who will do the best tomorrow, and we have to help them do that. There are ways to do that. I talk about turning volatility and disruption into offensive weapons. So we have to take existing IP 
and adapt it for the times. I have three more, so wake up. There has to be an alleviation of excess stress. I talked about it as a, uh, as a masker of talent, one of three. But stress builds up much too fast these days because people feel a loss of power. If you look at the existential movement, Sartre and Camus um, and uh, Heidegger and even Nietzsche and, and Dostoevsky, if you look at the people who are existentialists, they believe that external matters, be it God or the IRS or the weather, don't determine who we are and what happens to us. Only we do. And so we have to understand that we have more power than we think, and we have to help people to alleviate their own stress. Uh, the penultimate, which a lot of people think is the final, don't they? The penultimate. Leaders have to be an effective avatar. They have to be an exemplar for others. I don't mean avatar in the Disney sense of animated cartoons. I mean an avatar in terms of this is the person I want to be. This is the person I want to follow, and this is the person I want to emulate. And finally, leaders have to be able to create personal meaning. Life is not a search for meaning. That's meaningless. Life is about creating meaning for ourselves. Who writes the next page in our book? Is it someone else? Is it us? Is it a repetition of yesterday? Or is it blank? That's up to us. You've been listening to The Uncomfortable Truth with Alan Weiss. For free access to Alan's newsletters, audio and video resources, and for information about his global events and coaching communities, please visit alanweiss.com. Thanks for listening. Keep the faith.